faces. Uh, if, I, if I don't get a chance to meet you, just know that uh, we're, we're here for you. We want to be who we're supposed to be in your life, and we believe that God brought you here for such a time as this. So all of us pastors have our, our numbers on the back of this bulletin, and if there's something you need throughout the week, uh, just give us a text or a call. We'll try to be who we are supposed to be for you. So glad to have you. Glad to be here worshiping the Lord this morning. Uh, we got a few things this week. Uh, first of all, on Thursday night, this December 8th, from 6 to 8 p.m., is the uh, women's uh, women's uh, ugly sweater contest. I think that's just something you have to have this time of year. Uh, but the important thing is they're going to be doing some cookie decorating. And uh, just come be a part. It's the, the women's ministry team puts this on and just wants the women of the church to get together. So if you're a woman and you're here in this church, then you should come. Uh, it should be a good time from 6 to 8 p.m. here at the church. So come do that. Then on Saturday, we have our last registration for Upward Basketball. Upward Basketball is the, uh, the kindergarten through sixth grade basketball program that we run here. So if uh, you're interested in, in signing your kids up for that, or if you know somebody that you need to, to get in here, um, get them in here next Saturday from 9 to 2, and it's kind of where the kids sign up, and we evaluate them to get them on teams. So that, uh, that, that's something that is about to close. And then lastly, we have... Uh, the church Christmas party is next Sunday, and we just have a couple of needs there. Um, we need some people to come set up after church, so right after the next ser- or the service next Sunday, take the chairs down and set up some tables. And we also need um, some people to help decorate, so if you want to uh, help decorate for that, contact Sandy Griswold. And we also need somebody to cook a couple of turkeys and a ham. Um, we have the turkeys and we have the hams, and you talk to Starla cool about that. Um, we just need somebody to, to help cook those. We, we're smoking a bunch of meat, and we've got all that taken care of, I think, but if uh, you're interested in cooking some turkeys, that'd be great. But uh, if you're not any of those things, then please just come and join us for the Christmas banquet. It's next Saturday night at five o'clock here, and it should just be a great time to fellowship and worship the Lord and celebrate the things that he's done in our church in the last year. So come be part of us next uh, Sunday. And lastly, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper after this. So uh, pray, worship, prepare your hearts to take the communion and and, uh, worship our Savior. Let's stand up and get ready to worship God this morning. Lord, God in heaven, we are so thankful that you saw fit, Lord, to, to bring us here, Lord, that you saw fit to save us, Lord, with your blood, to die on the cross for us, to make us forgiven and free and able Lord, to to do your will, to love each other, to be your servants, Lord, to to help, to work on this earth, to live and reflect your glory, Lord. And we're here standing before you in your house today, Lord, and I pray that we would do it, that we would hear your voice, obey your voice, and worship all the great things that you've done among us. Thank you for being our God. Amen. 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 One other announcement for you this morning. So every year we do a, a Christmas offering, love offering for our pastors and staff. So be praying about that. And if God's laid something on your heart, uh, just put it in the offering designated for that this morning. So anyways, let's sing this morning.
Sing about this good news we've been given.
morning it's time to pray I thought you would be excited that's like the best time right it's a wonderful time we get to talk with God and we get to hear from God and so we're gonna spend that time this morning I would like for us to in addition to those personal concerns that you have and the people that you know that are struggling or we have some in the hospital many who are sick at home including Pastor Rick and continue to pray for him. But I'd really like for us to to turn again and look at um, the the theme that God led our pastor to lead us in this year. First um, Corinthians two, four, and five. Let's read that together. All right. For my speech and my message were not with persuasive words of wisdom, 
but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. We want to pray through that. Um, This morning, we're going to hear from God's Word about going after the lost sheep, the straying sheep. We don't dare do that with persuasive words uh, of human wisdom. That has to be done by the Spirit's power. We want to see God work in our lives, in the lives of, of the people that we know and love, right? So let's pray along those lines together, right? Father, we do come to you. And we acknowledge that you've given us the ability to think, to reason. You've given us complex language forms, and, and we can use all of those, and, and we do. And we're responsible. You've even taught us that we're accountable for every idle word we, we speak. That if anyone can control their tongue, they're perfect, mature. And God, we fall so short of that. But even, even that, Lord, is not enough. If, if we were perfect with our speech, with our thinking, we need you to move in a mighty way. God, it's, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit. And so, Lord, we come to you humbling ourselves, recognizing that our thoughts are not your thoughts. We need you to do your power that works in us, your spirit that lives in us. Father, we pray for our friends and our loved ones, people that we know, people we haven't even yet met, our neighbors, our coworkers, classmates that need you, God. So many who've wandered away from you. They're straying. God, we can't bring them back by our thinking or by our clever words. You have to draw them. And we pray that you would and that you would use us, God, that our faith wouldn't be built upon our reasoning, but it would be built on your power. So we'll trust you, God, more and more. Lord, we'll, we'll trust you with our approach in our relationships. We will trust you in our uh, lifestyles that we live more and more. We will trust you to speak from your word. We'll trust you to provide for us uh, as, as is best for us from your hand, God. And so out of what you've provided even, we'll trust you to give to where and whom you say to give. And so, God, we give you an offering today based not on what we figure out, but based upon what you tell us to give. So, Lord, help us to give by your Spirit. Help us to use what you give to us well for your purposes and your glory. And then, God, this offering that we give to you, help us as a as a church body to use that well for your glory, to make disciples, to honor you and glorify your name. 
by your spirit's power. And Lord, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to help us take this offering, would you come now and, and we'll give to the Lord.
Let's read together this morning this passage from Micah. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. You read it in Spanish for us, Brenda. Que Dios como tú, que perdona la maldad y olvida el pecado del remanente de su heredad, no retuvo para siempre su enojo, porque su deleta en misericordia. Él volverá a tener misericordia de nosotros, sepultará nuestros iniquidades y echará en lo profundo del mar todos nuestros pecados. Cumplirás la verdad a Jacob y a Abraham la misericordia que juraste a nuestros padres desde tiempos antiguos. If you'll go back to the piece where it says, uh, talks about him trampling our sins underfoot. As we look at the Christmas message, one of the things that the angels come and they declare, um, good news, a Savior has been born. And the implication is, is that we need saving from something. And we know that we need saving from our sins. That's why he came. And so to see this passage and see that he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Our King has come. He's going to save us. And he's going to tread our iniquities underfoot. So let's sing about that this morning.
Time for Super Church, third grade and under. And good morning. <laughs> so glad you're here this morning. I, I truly just love being here on Sunday morning, love being together with our church family, and love being able to worship the Lord. So good to us. And I always kind of get a, I always kind of get a chuckle. You know, it's always funny to me when I wear a coat, you know. I've had several people today say, oh, you look good today. I say this every time. It happens every single time. I had one guy say, oh, you look so professional today. I'm like, what do I look like the rest of the time? I, I, I'm, not really, I'm not really worried about being professional, and this is all I got. <laughs> if a coat makes me look better, hallelujah. But, you know, it does, it does kind of it does kind of just make me think sometimes how, how funny we are about stuff, you know. Uh, if putting a coat on makes me look good, how easy is it to make ourselves look better than we really are spiritually, right? Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, we all kind of think it's kind of cool to get dressed up, and it is. It's nice to get dressed up and look nice, but, but that doesn't make a man, and that doesn't make a woman. It certainly doesn't even come close to making them a man of God or a woman of God. Isn't that true? And when we, we spend time in the Word of God like we, like we do every week and hopefully you do in your personal lives every day, uh, man, the Lord really calls us to some things, right, that are beyond just dressing up spiritually, beyond just trying to show outwardly uh, maybe what we aren't inwardly, right? He really calls us to be outwardly what we are inwardly. 
to be sincere, to be genuine, to have a heart for Christ, to live our lives for Christ, to, to have his understanding of the world and to walk well in that. And man, that's a, that's a deep call, but it's a blessed call. I mean, if you really want to look good on a daily basis, put on Christ, right? You can keep your clothes, please put some on, preferably enough on, but if you really want to look good, put on Christ, and, and we're going to look at the scene you in Matthew 18, where we've been looking, and, and I'm going to talk this morning out of verses 12 through 17, and I'm going to talk about for the sake of the one. Uh, we're really going to talk about God's view of, of us. Uh, I know sometimes we're going to read this passage, and, and many of you have heard this passage. Uh, really, the whole thing is, is kind of overdone sometimes, but, but quite honestly, I think we're going to see it in a different view than most of the time it's portrayed because of the context of the setting of this passage. So, so let's just, just jump into this, and let's, let's talk about really God's view of us, uh, what God does in our life, especially when we're straying, and then how he wants us to be a part of that, how he wants us to jump in and, and see each other as we, we really are to him. So Matthew 18, beginning of verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which uh, have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed." If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. So grateful for the truth that it confronts us with. And so grateful for the truth that comforts us. And so grateful for the truth that calls us to put on Christ, that we might live for your glory and that we might shine, Lord God, as lights in this crooked and perverse world, your word says. Help us, Lord, to, to hear from you today. Speak to us individually. Speak to us as a church. Allow us to see your heart, Lord. And I pray that you would draw those that are straying I pray that you would draw those who are lost. I pray that you would allow us to come to you as our loving, gracious, merciful God. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this passage is really a continuation of where we started last week. And if you were with us, we talked about little children and stumbling blocks. And we, we talked about the fact that the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it's such a, such a shocking response from Jesus because he, he brings a little child, sets him among the disciples and says, unless you become like children, you can't enter the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. 
That's pretty shocking. It's still shocking to us today because, quite honestly, we think the ones that are most successful are the stronger, right? The more diligent, the nicer. I, I don't know what we think. We think that in order to get ahead, we got to get ahead, right? Nope. In the kingdom of heaven, you can't enter unless you become like a little child dependent on Christ, dependent. Not that you have anything to offer him. Not that you have anything to accomplish. As a small child, you haven't accomplished anything. You're not a decision maker. You're not an influencer. You know, you're not self-sufficient. You're not strong. You're, you're none of those things. You're dependent. He says, so you can't even enter, enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. And then verse 4, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about that, right? To, to come to Christ as a small child, to depend on him, for him to be your savior, then when you enter that kingdom of heaven like that, you're the greatest. You and everyone else that have come to Christ as a small child are the greatest because the value in heaven comes from God, right? You're great because he loves you. You're great because he saved you. You're not great because of what you've done. You're great because of him and his incredible love for us. It's this powerful truth that if we would just really believe it, then understand it, that a lot of the anxiety and the stress and the discouragement and the frustration that we sometimes have with ourselves might just fall away and Christ might actually begin to be exalted in us, be a huge blessing and a huge testimony to Jesus, right? But then it, then he shifts. I mean, he, he talks about if you receive one of these little ones, you receive him. He talks about the consequences of causing a little one to stumble. And by little one, he's talking about these believers, these ones that came like a child. He said, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and drown in the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. Then he talks about woe to the world because the stumbling blocks come from the world. It's inevitable. They're going to be a stumbling block to us, but woe to them. And anytime you see woe, I'm here to tell you in Scripture that something bad is going to happen to those who cause little ones to stumble. God's taking care of and cares for his own. Do If we would cause ourselves to stumble, if our hand or our foot would cause us to stumble, he says, cut it off. If our eye causes us to stumble, he says, pluck it out. He says, you, you've got to take the most drastic measure to keep yourself from stumbling. Then he says, don't despise one of these little ones. And then he says, because, right, the Son of Man came to save these guys. I mean, we're getting a picture of what Jesus is talking about now. When, it, when, it, when you're dealing with the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the thing that makes them incredible is God's love for them, for us. I mean, one of the most profound things to me, I don't care who you are, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how successful you are, nothing you can speak to me about, no subject you can broach with me, no greatness or accomplishment that you've, you've done in your life is going to be anywhere as profound as the love of God that somehow still loved me and still loves me today. Nothing is more profound than that. As we look at this, I mean, we're, we're looking at this profound love that God has for us that know him as Lord and Savior. 
This passage that we're going to look at today carries on with that. But but here's the thing, right? He's in verses 12 through 14, he's going to talk about the one that's straying. He's been talking about the ones that are potentially stumbling. Now he's talking about the ones that are straying. But I want you to hear in this passage as we carry on and, and in these in last week's passage, the, the danger, the significance of stumbling, the significance of straying. Because the warnings, the warning, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be drowned. Do you think in any way we should miss the significance of what God's talking about when it comes to stumbling? See, there's no doubt in my mind that he's talking about stumbling or straying from our relationship with him. That's critical. I mean, we kind of live in a day-to-day where our relationship with Jesus is, is nowhere near as, I don't know, as, as significant, as important as to us as it really is. How many of us, and do not raise your hand, but how many of us, if you were going to really be honest with yourself, have an incredibly casual attitude about your relationship with God? If you have it, a close relationship today, fine. If you don't, fine. If you are on fire today, fine. But if you're not, fine. It doesn't really matter to you how committed you are, how how aware you are of God, how much you're seeking the Holy Spirit, how obedient you are to Jesus Christ. I mean, let's just, just search your heart. Let God search your heart. Search me, oh Lord, and see if there's any hurtful way in me, right? Just see how many of us would have to say, if we were honest with ourselves, that we don't really worry that much about our relationship with Christ. We kind of know he's there, and so we're, just, we're good, right? We're just good, he's there, I'll do my thing, he's there, whatever. I want you to hear these passages. He says, if you cause a little one to stumble, if you cause a little one to walk away from Christ, if you cause a little one to live his life devoid of Christ, if you cause one that, that Christ died for, to be less than what he really is in his relationship with Christ, there's serious consequences. If your hand, if your foot, if your eye causes you to turn away from God, take him off. Get rid of that part of your life. I mean, God's not casual about his relationship with us, and we should be thrilled with that. I mean, we should be thrilled with that. Because as we go on in this passage of Scripture, it's a, it's a continuation you know, I, I know we have these little, these little headings. You got headings in your Bible? You know, because mine is, for the next one, is 99 plus 1. And then in 15 through 17, discipline and prayer. Isn't that nice of these guys who print these Bibles to tell us what's exactly happening in here? Because that way we don't really have to study. We don't really have to think about it. We don't have to see it as a unit. We don't have to kind of walk through this thing and figure it out. We can just, you know, chop it all up and make it whatever we want it to be. No, it was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit through Matthew to be a unit, right? To fit together. And so as we go on, we transition from verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, to verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one who's straying? 
Man, I, I know over the years I've probably heard 20 sermons on this little passage of Scripture, and they've all been about evangelism, right? The lost one must be somebody that doesn't know Jesus. The lost one must not be a little one that he's been talking about in the first 11 verses. The lost one must not be one of these ones that's great in the kingdom of heaven. Must be a complete no diversion now from where we've been. Except it's not. It's not. And, and I, want us to, I want us to think again. The one that's gone astray. The one that's straying, right? The one that's chosen to leave the fold. The one that's chosen to go his way without regard for God. The one that's chosen something over God. The one that's chosen a lifestyle that's contrary to God. The one that's gone astray. And I want us to see in here as we continue on some of the significance of what that means to God. Now, before I go any further, I want to say this. There's no doubt scripturally that someone that knows Christ as their Lord and Savior can lose their salvation. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, There's no chance you can convince me of that. I've studied the scriptures about that specifically so that I would know. So I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Matter of fact, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I won't read the whole thing, but it tells us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, nothing, nothing. John 10, 27 through 29 is pretty sweet. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's pretty clear, isn't it? If you went to Ephesians 1, 12 and 13, you'd see that's clear. If you went to 1 Corinthians 6, the last, I don't know the exact verses, but the first five or six, that's pretty clear. John three sixteen is pretty clear. I mean, we can make a case. There's no doubt that you can't lose your salvation. So what's he talking about then when he's talking about going astray? What's he talking about when he's talking about straying, right, from the flock? Well, as you're going to see, First, I believe he's talking about some that have a relationship with him. I think as we get a little further, you're going to see that there are some that, man, they never really had a relationship with him, and the consequences for them are a little more difficult. But, but you start with this first one, and he, he says to the disciples, what do you think? I'm going to give you a scenario. What do you think? And quite honestly, he knows what they think. He already knows what they think. Everybody knew this. If there's a man that has a hundred sheep, the owner of these sheep, and one goes astray, will he not leave the 99 probably back in a protected kind of, you know, pen, if you will, there in the mountains, and go seek that one that's gone astray? Will he not? And the disciples would say, of course. Of course he would. They lived in the day where they knew how this worked. These sheep were not only valuable to these people, but they were familiar, if you will. They were cared for. They were loved, if you will. I mean, they weren't just out there just like sheep. They didn't have this kind of strange relationship with these sheep whereby they just 
you know, raised them until they slaughtered them or whatever. I mean, they were personal with these sheep. Matter of fact, if you would still go to Israel today, you would know that the shepherds would go in front of the sheep. They don't go behind the sheep. They don't send a dog after them. The Bible says, as we read already, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. So the shepherds still in Israel have the sheep follow them and the shepherds lead them to the water, just like Psalm 23 says, and the shepherds take care of them. And it's just this kind of intimate relationship. So, so not only are they valuable to them as animals that produce food or produce wool, they're cared for by the master. So, so when he says, when one goes astray, what do you think the master, the owner is going to do? And they would have looked at him and said, of course, he's going to go after that sheep. Oh, man, I love that. I mean, I love that. You know, it's so personal to me. Because, man, there was a time at about 17 where I just kind of went my own way. I, 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 don't, I still look back and kind of go, I don't know why I necessarily did. I just got angry. I just got hurt. I just got proud. I just got stupid. I don't know. You pick whatever you think. It all fits. But, man, I, I kind of just went off and thought, well, I'm going to make something of myself and do what I want my way. Right? A lot of young men, young women do that. But I was his. I was his. I was his. I wasn't smart enough to process through all this stuff, and I didn't have anybody really teaching me all this stuff. So when I walked away and went my own way, things began to happen. I wasn't successful in all of my greatness. All of my great decisions didn't really work out. All of my abilities brought nothing but emptiness and heartache and need and hopelessness. Every single time I'd do something completely contrary to God and his way. There'd be a depth of blackness and conviction and loneliness that can't really easily be described. But every time, every time, even in that darkness, even in that blackness, there'd be a voice in my mind, in my heart. How do you like that? How's this going for you? Don't you? Don't you? Don't you want to come home? Don't you want to come home? You know, I used to say, I do want to. But I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But guess what? Guess what my, my master would do? You keep looking for me. Do you hear what he's saying? One of my little ones. Not one of my great ones. Not one of my independent ones. Not one of my sufficient ones. One of my little ones. That I love so dearly is straying. 
He's gone astray. He's out there on his own. And I'm going to go find him. Do you hear the love in that? You hear the love in that? I mean, one of the most amazing things, like I said earlier to me, is, is Christ's love for us. I mean, I talk to people about the Lord, and they, they don't want to talk to me sometimes about him. They, they certainly don't understand. They, I love the ones that brush me off. I'm like, well, you know, all religions are the same. Listen, son, we're going to go a little harder at this now. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm not. I'm talking about a Savior who's personal to me, who's gracious to me. I mean, the most profound thing. I've said it so many times. It means so much to me. was when we were hurting, when Beth and I were hurting, when Beth was pregnant before we got married, when we weren't either one walking with Christ and Beth didn't even know him and our baby's born and she's on a heart monitor and it goes off and, and we don't know what to do. And I'm like, I got to have God in my life. But my whole mind was saying, if I walk toward you, Lord, will you love me? Because why would he? Because you not understand who God is? Do you not understand how holy he is? Do you not understand how just omnipotent he is? He doesn't need us. He's so holy that I know some of us honestly believe that, that God has done himself a favor by allowing us to come into his presence. But that's not the way this works. He's holy. And when we're sinful, there's not a reason for him to love us except him. Except him. And so I understood that. I understood I was not a casual sinner. I understood I was not just some nice guy. So many of us in this room, we think we're just some nice guy that no wonder God would just want us. It's not true. We're sinners. We're saved by his grace. And then to be saved by his grace and walk away for whatever excuse you want to pick is so offensive, so offensive to him. I didn't have it wrong when I said, Lord, will, will you love me? But there he was, still looking. It was him in the darkness. It was him in the broken heart. It was him in my baby. It was him. Do you not see Seeking, looking, chasing after the one because he cares so much for the one. Well, it says in verse 13, if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Now, I don't believe that that means that he thinks that this one's more valuable. They're all valuable. They're all the greatest in the kingdom, right? What he's saying was is this one was lost, strayed, gone away from my presence, gone away from my blessings, gone away from my protection. 
And now he's back. I've got him. I've got her. Now she's home again. Now she's with me again. Now I can take care of her. I can take care of him. I can love them. They can love me. There's such joy that God has when we return to him. And I didn't even know that at the time. My joy was overflowing because I couldn't believe that he would love me. I'm telling you, I was probably embarrassingly joyful. Working in a trucking company with a bunch of, you know, hard, old, (laughs) tough guys that their language was foul and they didn't care very much for people. And I'm running around singing songs and whistling. And I mean, I'm having the time of my life. I couldn't believe God loved me. I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled that he would love me. I didn't even know that he was thrilled to love me. I didn't even know. But he rejoices. I mean, we have such an incredibly loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate Savior that he rejoices over us when we come back. I mean, some of you are straying today. There's no question about it. You may be doing the right thing on the outside. You showed up at church today. Way to go. That's good. But you know you're straying. You know your relationship with Jesus isn't good. You know. Man, you're convicted of that every day. And you know that somehow, man, you're getting away with it, but it's not, it's not peace in your life. It's not hope in your life. It's not security in your life. It's darkness. It's hopelessness. It's despair. It's frustration. It's guilt. You know, I know, I know. I know how it feels. I know the truth of it. And he loves you. He's calling to you to stop being casual. He's calling you to stop putting on a mask and being hypocritical. He's calling you to start being sincere with him and to live for him and to love him and to give up those, stu- those things that are causing you to stumble. He's, ca- he's, giving, he's calling you to give up the things that's causing you to, to stray. He wants you he wants to be close and intimate with you. I, I love the example of the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes out and wastes everything he has with wild living and ends up eating, you know, not even eating what the pigs will eat. And he says one day, man, it'd be better off for me to be a slave in my dad's house. I'll go home and tell my dad, I'll just be a slave. Sorry for what I did to you. Sorry for the way I sinned against God. I'll go home. I'll be better off as a slave. And his dad sees him a long way off. Do you not see that here? Sees him a long way off. He's been looking for him. He sees him. He runs out there and he embraces him. He says, Dad, I'll I'll just be a slave. I'm sorry for what I've done to you. And he says, I love you, son. He says, put a robe on him. Slaves didn't wear robes. Put a ring on his finger. That's my son's ring. Right? That's my son. Put sandals on his feet. My son has come home. He was dead and now he's alive. He loves us. But I love the fact that he's showing us through this word that, man, he is not okay with us stumbling. He's not okay with us straying. He's not. He wants this right relationship with us. Matter of fact, there's so many warnings in Scripture about straying and not paying attention to our relationship with God. One that's really difficult to read, that's true in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
straying. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Isn't that shocking? So many people say, well, you can't lose your salvation. I say, are you saved? That's what I, are you saved? Because the one that's saved stays. The one that's saved, when Christ comes seeking, repents. The one that's saved is going to stay with Christ. None of us walk perfectly. None of us. Not a one of us, but the one that's saved, we keep responding. We keep saying, I'm sorry. We keep repenting. Amen? And he rejoices when we come back to him. And verse 14 says, so it is not the will of my father, of your father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones perish. Man, you read that word perish and you think, well, he must be talking about lost people. No. Do you not know? You can apply it to that if you want to, but do you not understand that when you're not walking with Christ, you're perishing. You're, you're not living. I mean, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? So now if we've left Christ, who we claim as Lord and Savior, to have the things of the world, to have our personal comforts, to have our personal desires, to have whatever we think we have to have, is that really life? Is that really living? Or does life come from walking intimately with Christ? And the answer is simple. It's walking intimately with Christ. That's why he comes after us in the first place. He doesn't want us out there apart from him. He wants us with him. So here we are. It's not God's will. It's not God's will for us to perish. And 2 Peter 3 tells us it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I believe he's talking about salvation there. But why would he save us? For us then to walk away from him? Why would he save us from our sin? To give us life? For us to live in the world that brings death? Why? That's not what he wants. He loves us. And and so I want you to hear this morning that for the sake of the one, if you're struggling, if if you're straying, if you're stumbling, he so much longs for you to come back to him. And it's a short trip. It's a short trip. It's not a long trip. It's a, I am broken and I have been wrong and I am sorry Will you forgive me? Here I am. You can have me. Here I am. I know I'm sharing a lot of myself, but I've shared this many times too. I I remember the place. I remember the time. I remember the room in the house where I said, Lord, if you love me that much, I don't care what you want from me. I don't care where you lead me. I don't care what you require of me. I'm yours. Take Beth if you want. Take the kids if you want. Take me if you want. I don't care where you take me. I'm yours.
You give yourself to him. And you get him. Do you understand? You get him. You get all of him. Because he takes you into his arms. And he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you experience that fullness of love. And you experience it day in and day out. It's not his will that you perish apart from him. It's his will that you come to him. And he gives you life. Well, listen, it's, it's kind of cool because it's another transition. 14, so it's not the will of your father who's in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Man, we call this the church discipline passage, right? This is the one that we say, all right, if somebody's being a jerk, this is how we deal with them. No, no. This is if you see someone that God loves who's his child and they are sinning, they're straying, they're stumbling, they're walking away from him. I'm not just talking about, you know, if somebody gets angry at a slow driver in front of them and you're urgently needing to get somewhere. You can't believe they're going 12 miles an hour and you're making hand gestures to yourself. Like, come on. I'm not talking about just those occasional things that happen to some people. I'm talking about people that have walked away from Jesus. They don't think about him anymore. They don't look for him anymore. They don't want him anymore. They're sinning. I mean, their sin is so obvious. It's a lifestyle type sin. And they, they need somebody. They need somebody to be what God just said he would be. He'd leave the 99 and he would go. This is us going in his name for his glory. And we're supposed to go to them in private and we're supposed to show them their faults. Sounds like an inviting thing to do, doesn't it? Everybody wants to do that, right? I mean, I get it. None of us want to be offensive. I don't know why you would. I don't know why anybody would want to personally be offensive just for the joy of it. We don't want to do that, but we're not talking about being offensive. We're talking about loving someone like Christ loves them. And do you hear what he says here? He doesn't say, uh, pastor, if a member of your church sins, go to him. Deacon, if a member of your church sins, go to him. Sunday school teacher, no, he says, if your brother sins, if your sister sins, Meaning if every single one of us in here who is a follower of Christ knows someone who's straying and stumbling in their walk with Jesus, we individually are to care enough about them to go and, yes, say, what you're doing is destructive to your life. What you're doing is dishonoring to God. And what God wants is for you to come back to him, to come back to the fold to come back to his presence, to come back to that relationship that's so good. Go to him. Man, I, I know we live in a day that 
it's just crazy to me. We're so personally inward focused that we really want to say to the world, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. To our loved ones, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. I won't bother you about where you're at. You don't bother me. We'll just live our lives. Everybody will be okay. But there's no love in that. There's no love in that. That's selfishness. You know, Christ's relationship to us is so much like a marriage. You know, in just a few days, Beth and I will be married 36 years. You know, I'm thankful that when we got married, Beth didn't say, well, all right. You signed on the dotted line. You said, I do. So now I'm going to go live my life, and you live your life, and we'll call each other married. I'm really glad she didn't do that. Because that would have been a miserable marriage. Right? A miserable. There would have been no relationship there whatsoever. Instead, Beth said, I'm going I'm to walk with you and put up with you and love you. And I'm going to ask you to do the same to me. And we're going to grow close to one another. So that when we celebrate 36 years, that celebration is sweeter than year one or year 10, or year 20, or year 30, even sweeter than year 35. Isn't that what you want in your marriage? Isn't that what you want in life? Don't you want relationships that are deep and powerful and intimate? But instead, so many times we've decided that, you know what, we're going to stay away from all that stuff. We're not going to love anybody. We're not going to let anybody love us. And so we're not going to invest in anybody. And because we don't invest in anybody, they walk out there straying and stumbling and they, they perish. They perish. And we don't even care. Now, the owner of the sheep cared. God cares. Shouldn't we care like he cares? Without a doubt. Well, let's go through this passage a little quicker. So he says, don't you love this? If he listens to you, you have won your brother. See, that's the goal of this passage. The goal of this passage is your brother to come back to have a relationship with Jesus. And can I say this to you? They aren't going to come back if we don't speak Christ to them. Don't you think indifference and uninvolvement are going to bring them back to Christ. Caring and speaking is how they come back to Christ. So then he says, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Two or three witnesses. <clears throat> this is quoting Deuteronomy 19.15 from the Old Testament, obviously, and in those days, you couldn't bring someone to court without having more than one witness. You had to have at least two or three witnesses because the facts had to be confirmed. Well, that's the way it is with those that stray, <coughs> those that stumble. You have to go to them sometimes. Sometimes they think, well, you know, Mike's just being a jerk. He came to talk to me about my life, and he's just, it's just his opinion, and I don't care what he says. Well, <coughs> if that's the case... Take a couple more with you that love that brother or that sister as well. Take them with you. Let's sit with them and say, do you see your life? 
You see, your life, your life isn't what Christ has called you to live. Your life isn't walking with God. Your life, obviously, because of what you're doing, is not in any way enjoying the blessings and the fellowship and the intimacy of relationship with Christ. Take them with you. Don't you see the passion that God has here? He doesn't want to just let us stray away. He says if we can't do it by ourselves, which is the best way, because then only one person has to deal with this and only one person knows all this stuff. But if you have to have more, take them because I don't want my little ones stumbling. I don't want my little ones straying. It's critical for him that we go and we deal with our brothers, even sometimes when it's uncomfortable. And by the way, and I've done this sometimes. I don't know how many times, more than I really probably wanted to. But I will say this. If you go with a humble attitude, if you go with love in your heart, uh, I would say 98, 99% of the time at least, they weren't offended by you and your love for them. They may not hear you. They may not respond. But if you're gentle and you're loving, even if you have to confront them, they're at least going to respect your heart and your mind. I have had a couple of times when I've had to say to people, if you think I enjoy doing this, you're crazy. The only reason I am here is because I love you, and more importantly, God loves you too. Don't you guys think that loving someone is destructive? Don't buy into that. It's a blessing. Well, we finished this passage with a really powerful verse, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that last phrase we'll get to because it's the tough one in there. But don't miss this first part. You went individually. You brought two or three more with you because you love this person, because Christ loves this person. If they don't understand God's love, you bring them to the church, to the greater body, and the church pours out their love for them. The church says, repent. Hear this in this passage. They're not calling them to continue to live in sin. It's not okay for a little one to live in sin. They're calling them out of that sin. They're calling them to repentance. They're calling them to respond to Jesus. They're calling them to come back to the flock. That's the call. I mean, so many times today we just go, well, you know, we'll talk to them about the Lord, but if they don't respond, then it's okay. No, it's not. It is not. It's never going to be okay for someone, anyone, believer or unbeliever, to reject Jesus Christ. Never. We better nail that down as we talk about real love. Real love is bringing someone to Christ whether it's one that's strayed or stumbled, whether it's one that's lost and doesn't know him, real love brings them to Christ who gives them hope and forgiveness and security and, men all that they're ever going to need. That's what real love does is we bring them to Christ. That's what we do with this one. We went. We took a few others. Now we bring them before the church. The church pours into them and says, we love you. God loves you. Look at how much God loves you. Look at Christ on the cross. Look at what's available to you. Look. That's what we want. We want them to repent. Turn to Jesus. But if they don't, if they won't, 
if they refuse, if they rebel, the Bible says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Gentiles were not a part of God's people. Tax collectors were socially, socially isolated, no longer a part even of the city or the workings of the city because they were tax collectors and traders. And what the scripture is saying is that if they won't respond to the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ, the deep, deep love of the one seeking them, then we should treat them like unbelievers. Like unbelievers. That's what he's saying. And quite honestly, maybe they are. Maybe they are. That's not really for us to decide. Can't know that fully. But we can know this. Let you know them by their fruits, Jesus said. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You know them by their fruits. Their fruits don't look like they're believers. Their attitudes don't look like they're believers. We should treat them like unbelievers. I mean, they're not a part of God's kingdom. They're not a part of our fellowship. It's not the way that works. I know in the day and age we live in today, that's a really harsh thing to say, and, and I, I've heard it. You should never be that judgmental. That's not judgmental. I don't need to judge that. That's a person who has chosen their path, chosen their stance, chosen their relationship with Christ. They've chosen to reject him. I didn't have anything to do with that. My response has to be to show them that they're not a part of the kingdom and pray for them that they would become a part of the kingdom. Listen, it's a, it's a powerful thing to see just how far Christ has gone for the one. He went to the cross for us. He gave his life for us. You don't ever get to say God has somehow let you down. He didn't let us down. He came to save us. Those that are stumbling, those that are straying, need people to come to them and call them back to Christ like he has sought for them on the mountainside. And yes, we have to stand for truth and call them to repentance. Hallelujah. The best thing we can do to anybody is call them to repentance that they might trust Jesus and believe that by his grace, that short trip back to him brings life, right? So Pastor Aaron's going to come. The deacons are going to come. We're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper. But I want you to, to not miss what the Lord's Supper says. The Lord's Supper says the owner went seeking the lost. The Lord's Supper says that Christ died for us, which is our hope, which is our life. The Lord's Supper says what we really need is Jesus. 
Where are you today? Are you straying? If you're straying, turn back to Jesus. Are you lost? Have you never trusted Christ and never been his? Why not say to him today, Lord, forgive me. I need you to save me and make me your child. Let me pray and these guys will come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I pray that we would hear that you'd speak to each heart specifically. And I pray that for those that are straying, that they'd repent and come home. That those are lost, that they would believe and be saved for the first time. That we, Lord God, who are doing our best to walk well with you, would care enough for others, straying and lost, to speak to them and to call them to repentance. And I pray you'll be glorified in all of that. As we observe and remember this Lord's Supper today, Lord, call us ever nearer to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What a powerful sermon. Pastor Mike preached from the Word of God to call us to a place where we're, we're here now. We can, we can repent. We can revel in the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he spilled his blood for us. And I want to take this time now as these deacons pass out the, the elements. You can go ahead and do that. I want to take the time to take this physical element into your hand. Let it be this thing that Jesus wanted for you. He wanted you to hold this in your hand and worship him. He wanted you to remember. He wanted you to know that he did this for you. And it's all we have, him, him doing it for you. So while you do it, meditate on this verse from 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If you're sitting here today, you're, you're righteous. You can be righteous. So repent if you have stress, if you have junk in your mind, if you have worry. If you're, if you're doubting, take courage. He died for you. He bore your sins on his own self so that you could be free. Now let's worship. in most melody in every human heart it's made Oh, 
fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you sin on your on, on yourself our sin on yourself why Lord, how could it be that by your wounds by your broken body we're healed oh lord thank you for the display of love for us lord as we hold this bread or we thank you for your body amen now the cup let's pray god Without the shedding of blood, there's no payment for our sins, God. We can't pay for these sins that we've committed. We can't pay for the things we've done, Lord. You loved us so much that you did. And here in this hand is this cup, Lord, and we're going to drink it down and know, Lord, that you saved us by your blood. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and worship the Lord now. We know what he's done for us. Were the whole earth echoing his endless? He's the first for
I love you.